Thank you all so much for your continued listenership. We really appreciate the fact that you guys are sharing this content out. This True Story podcast is something that is very important because it brings awareness not only to bipolar disorder one, but also to other mental disorders. We will be sure to stay at the track and bringing awareness to these disorders by continuing to bring you guys more episodes. If you have any feedback, please feel free to email us at vertigopodcasts at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Crazy Diamond is based on the life of a woman living with bipolar disorder 1. It reflects her experiences with this mental disorder. The writer of this story has given me full access to share in hopes that it reaches those who need help and to bring awareness to the disorder. The writer wishes to remain anonymous. The content in Crazy Diamond may be triggering and we recommend the assistance of a medical professional for help and diagnosis. If you or anyone you may know is thinking about suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 I woke up the next morning, right before the nurses came in to turn on the lights. I was staring at the bracelet Abner had given me, and its blue glow lit up the side post of my bed. No nightmares, but the shadow man was standing right next to me. He towered over me, but said nothing. Then the lights came on. Claude groaned and he disappeared. Claude and I sat with Abner, Farah, and Candace at the lunch table. Again, I had poured myself some coffee, but today I nibbled on some of my breakfast, and I wasn't sure what had brought about my newfound appetite, as minuscule as it was. I looked down the table and saw Alfonso eating alone. He looked up at me and smirked, then his mouth widened like he was about to say something, but Abner intervened. That guy is fucking weird, he said, and I looked away from him. He's not been bothering you, has he, Tink? Farah asked, her eyes nervously shifting from Alfonso and then back to me. No, I said. He's definitely a strange bird, but so am I. I can't really judge the guy just for that. That's nice of you to say, Candace said, looking up from her tray. You seem like a good person, Edith. It was the nicest thing anyone had said to me since I'd gotten here. I felt myself smile as I looked at her. Thank you, I said. So do you, and I want to give you something. I reached for a red bracelet I'd been wearing for months on my wrist. It was supposed to mean happiness, but was really just a bit of thick string with a knot holding it together. I took it off and handed it to her. This represents happiness, and maybe a new beginning, I told her. Her eyes became glassy with tears as she took the bracelet and slipped it onto her wrist. Edith, she said, but it was almost as if she was unable to get any words out. Thank you so much, she finally whispered, and she touched the bracelet as if it had magic attached to it. I had wanted to give it to her when I had first met her yesterday, and when she had told us the story of why she was here. It was strange. I guess how... All I'd wanted for so long was to leave this world. Yet when someone told me they wanted or had attempted to do the same thing, I wanted nothing more than to change their minds. 
I was beginning to confuse myself. Did I want to jump off that bridge or out that window? Did I really want what the shadow and the voices said I did? David came to me and dosed me with another one of the pills Dr. Navarra had prescribed. And when I got back, Claude stared at me like she was in some way offended. No present for me? she asked, pointing a nail-bitten finger at the bracelet on Candace's wrist. Sorry? was all I could muster up for her. She stooped lowly in her chair and sulked. She had on a white t-shirt that was too small for her, paired with the same worn-out leggings from the day before. Suddenly, her mood changed before I could even get another word out. Alfonso keeps staring over here, she said happily and immediately jerked up. She pulled her greasy hair into a ponytail and grinned. He likes me, I can tell. I'm going to stay up tonight and play cards with him. Farrah stared at her with irritation burning in her eyes. Then she got up and emptied her tray into the trash and walked into the lounge room without a word. Abner, what do you say to a game of Uno? Claude asked expectantly and with flirtation in her voice. I'll play if Edie does, he said, giving me a lopsided smile. I'll play if Farrah and Candace do, I replied, standing up to follow Farrah. Sounds good. Let's do it. Abner and Claude got up with me, but Candace remained seated. What's wrong? I asked. And she looked up at me so I could see that her eyes were still teary. I did such a bad thing. I don't feel like I deserve to play games and be happy. She told me, shrugging her shoulders and looking away. Come with us, Candace. No one is judging what you did. Not in here. She looked around the room as if to confirm what I had just said. Then she stood up and nodded and we all walked into the other room, where Karen and Lou were already hogging the couches and television. We played several games of Uno, Farrah refusing to do so at first, but then coaxed into it by Abner's begging. When we were halfway through our eighth game, the blonde Bible-thumping therapist stepped inside the doorway and announced that it was once again group time. I sighed and put my cards down. Until next time, Candace said, and she looked genuinely happy for once. I got up to try to hurry and get the fuck out of there before she started her session, but she stopped me before I made it to the door. Edith, she said, you haven't attended my group yet. I think you'd find it highly beneficial to your recovery if you at least gave it a chance. I'm not into God, I said stepping away and nearer to the exit of the room. He'll be there for you when you're ready for him to be. Just come, listen to some verses, she said, pulling out a chair for me at the table. He's never been there for me when I needed him, I told her, angry that she was pushing me so hard to do something I had made clear I didn't want to do. Do you know how many times I've wanted God to help me and he never lifted a finger to do a single thing? She looked sad suddenly and backed away from me in a courteous manner. If you change your mind, we'll be here, she said. Then she started focusing on the beginning of her group, and I walked out the door. I felt like slamming it behind me, but I resisted the urge and walked into the music room instead. This time it was empty except for Ray, who was proceeding to bang his head against the wall. I was immediately alarmed and afraid. Ray? Ray, stop it! Raziel! He kept doing it, though, and he started screaming. Where is it? he exclaimed, 
now banging his fists as well as his head. What have they done with it? I need it! I need it! Help! I screamed, running to the open doorway and flagging David down. Help him! He's hurting himself! David ran into the room with two other nurses following at his heels. They grabbed hold of Ray and sat him down on the couch to access the damage to his forehead. It was bloody and bruising. Where is it? Ray screamed again, and then he pointed to the empty table by the couch. I realized he was talking about the radio and concluded that Lou and Karen must have succeeded in their plan to steal it last night and bring it into their room. Everyone had heard the commotion and was gathering outside the music room where there was a glass wall they could all look into to watch him. I saw Karen and Louise stare at each other in panic and then rush down the hallway, most likely to their personal room. I knew they were about to hide the radio and probably replace it when no one was around to see them do so. The nurses held Ray's arms down and started leading him out of the room. He stopped before they were about to pass me, and he slowly turned his face in my direction. It will be okay, I told him, utterly shocked by the display I had just witnessed. Threatened by shadows at night and exposed in the light, he said as they walked him away from me into his room, where I assumed they would sedate him. I was so fucking angry about this radio all of a sudden. I hadn't understood what Karen had meant when she said that Raziel would be upset if they took it, but now I could see it was probably the only thing keeping him calm while he had to stay here. When he'd found it gone, it had sent him into a panic, and I felt furious that Karen and Louise knew this would happen and didn't give the slightest fuck. Now all they cared about was getting caught, and I had seen that in their eyes when I looked at them through the glass in the music room. I wanted to spill my guts and tell the nurses what I knew, but I felt like the situation was already said and done. I knew they'd return the radio and never take it again after this, but I also knew I now considered them fucking assholes who thought they were somehow in charge of everything and everyone here. I sat down on one of the couches and began to cry. I cried so hard that David came in and sat down with me, telling me everything was okay and not to worry about Ray. I wasn't worried about Ray though, I was worried about myself. I was worried about what I was doing here, what had brought me here. No, I wasn't crying about Ray. I was crying because I thought that perhaps I was, in fact, just like him. David held my hand until I had finished crying, and then I excused myself and went to my room where I threw up. Claude came in shortly after I had flushed the toilet. You okay, best friend? she asked. I rolled my eyes and wiped the vomit from the corners of my mouth with toilet paper. Yeah, I'm fine, I said, as I washed my hands and used some mouthwash before exiting the bathroom to face her. She was sitting on my bed swinging her legs happily. I talked to Alfonso. He said he'll only play cards tonight if you're there. He must be shy and only comfortable with two or more people. She twitched slightly and bit her fingernails. I guess so. I don't really want to be up late, though, I told her, still reeling from seeing Ray's bloody forehead. The radio is back. No one knows where it went, she said, shrugging her shoulders. Poor crazy Ray. Who knows what will happen to him once he leaves here? Hopefully he has a stupid radio. <laughs> she laughed at that, and then pointed toward the door. 
One of the nurses told me to tell you it's time for your AA meeting. Jesus, fuck, I said without even realizing. I leaned against the wall and stared out into the hallway. Darla popped her head in just then and looked over at me. Edith, it's time to start the group. Did Claude tell you? She looked at me with concern. Are you all right? She asked. Fine, I said. I'm coming. I left Claude sitting on the bed and followed Darla down the hall and into the lounge. Alfonso sat beside me and was a little too close for my comfort. You're looking as gorgeous as usual, he whispered to me, but I said nothing and looked away. He seemed to take the hint and left me alone. I listened for a while, and then suddenly someone started talking, a familiar voice that I couldn't quite place for a moment. I've embarrassed myself so many times. I've lost all my friends. No one understands that alcohol makes all the bad things go away. No one understands that I can finally be myself and enjoy myself when I have a drink. The room was silent, and I finally realized that the voice was my own. I was sharing without even realizing I'd done so. I shut my mouth immediately, mortified at what I had said. Darla smiled and thanked me for sharing and the meeting went on as usual. When it ended, she asked me to come see her in her office. I followed her without question into a room beside the one where I'd seen Dr. Navarra. Please sit down, Darla said, motioning to a chair next to the desk where she then sat. I did as she told me and stared at her, waiting for her to tell me why the fuck I was in here. I didn't want to say anything else. I didn't know what was going on with me or why I'd even spoken, but more was coming out rapidly. I was trading sex for weed and alcohol before I came here, I told her randomly, recalling all the sleazy guys around my neighborhood who I'd contacted and gotten my various substances from after payment. Darla looked at me long and hard. Then she folded her hands in her lap and gave me a stare that made me feel like she was disgusted by my confession. Pray and ask God for forgiveness, she said, abruptly turning away. You may go. I sat for a moment or two, a bit put off by her response and feeling ashamed for what I had done and even more so for the fact that I had even told her about it. I got up, however, and left her office, making my way to the music room, where Ray was back and the radio was playing some talk show. He was talking to himself as he laid sprawled out on one of the two couches. I'm a piece of shit, I said, figuring he wouldn't pay any attention to me. Instead, he sat up and stared at me as I stood by the window and looked out into the parking lot below. You're the only one here that's real, he said to me, and I looked over at him in confusion. Everyone here is real, I told him walking over to the bookcase where I thought I might find something substantial to read. No, he said. They're all acting, faking it. You see just like I do. You see them. See who? I asked, distracted by his comment momentarily. Come on, you raver. You seer of visions, he whispered laying back down on the couch and disregarding me as if our conversation hadn't happened. Just then, Farah entered the room. Tink, 
I heard you got upset. Are you all right? She asked. Her voice was alarmed and she looked worried. I'm okay, I told her, reaching for one of the books on the bookshelf. It was called Jacob Have I Loved. I'd never read it before, but it looked like it might be somewhat interesting and could perhaps draw my attention away from this place for just a little while. Tink, I'm going to go to my room and lie down. Why don't you come into the lounge and sit with Candace? She doesn't have anyone to talk to right now. Vera was eyeing Ray like she was deathly afraid of him, and I knew she didn't want me alone with him at all. I agreed and walked out of the music room and into the lounge where I saw Candace sitting at one of the tables alone with some Uno cards. I sat down opposite her and smiled. Want to play? I asked, gathering up the cards and beginning to attempt to shuffle. Okay, she said, and she watched me shuffle with an amused look on her face. Let me do it, she said at last and I gladly handed her the cards and watched her shuffle effortlessly. We began to play in silence, only speaking when it came to one of us only possessing one card. Are you going to have any visitors this week? She finally asked, drawing a few cards from the deck. My mom and dad might come to see me, I said. I imagined them seeing me in this place and I immediately stifled the urge to call my mother and cancel our plans. What about you? I asked, fanning my cards out so I could see all the colors and numbers. No, my son hates me. He doesn't talk to me. My friend I told you about who found me might come though. I'm not sure. She played a card and I picked one up from the deck. Your son hates you. Why would he hate you? I asked, genuinely confused. Candace looked pained and she squinted her eyes and then rubbed her forehead somewhat absent-mindedly. I don't know. He just never wants to talk to me. I try to be close with him, but he wants nothing to do with me. You know, so many times I wish I had a daughter. Maybe a daughter like you. You're a beautiful, intelligent young woman. You're kind as well. Everything I'd ever want in a daughter. I stopped playing momentarily and imagined my own mother. She was an alcoholic and always seemed distracted when I wanted to talk to her about anything. I'd grown up in such chaos with both my parents drinking nonstop and inviting strangers over who mistook my bedroom half the time for the bathroom and woke me up throughout the night. Now my parents were divorced and leading separate lives, but they were still attached wholeheartedly to the drink. I found myself wishing Candace was my mother. She listened, she found me interesting, and not a burden of which I assumed my parents thought me to be. I would love to be your daughter, I said, playing my next card. Candace stopped the game and laid down her cards. What troubles you, my dear? What is it that keeps you up at night? Her voice was soothing, and I felt like I was safe with her. I told her about my parents, and she listened intently. I see things. I don't know if they're real. I thought I was a seer when I came here. I thought I could read people. Now I feel like a fraud. I admitted as I laid down my cards, too. 
She looked at me with kindness and acceptance in her bright blue eyes. Don't believe what you see, she said, gathering up the cards and shuffling them again. What you see isn't always what's real, and I know that because I've seen some of the same things you probably have. Maybe we hear the same voices in our heads urging us to do the terrible things that would hurt the people we love. Listen to yourself instead. Listen to your heart and to your own mind. Get well, get out of here, and live. She laid the deck of cards on the table and leaned back in her chair with a sigh. I think I'll go lie down, she said. This new medicine makes me quite tired. I nodded and watched her get up and exit the room. Was she right? I thought about her words and then pondered about whether or not I was actually mentally ill, like these doctors and nurses were telling me. She's not thinking straight, said the woman's voice in my head. She's being coerced, said the man, but he sounded afraid. I rubbed my temples and ignored their rantings. It was time. Time for me to see myself in the way Candace had described. Say I was disturbed mentally. Say I was an alcoholic. Then what? Well, I thought, getting up from my chair to go sit on one of the couches and watch The Walking Dead with the assholes. It's time to get better. To be better, I told myself as I sat down on the comfy cushions of an armchair beside Karen. It was time to find myself, and it was time to leave these voices, the shadow, and the whole clairvoyant version of myself behind. Let's push another armchair up against this one, Karen said, grabbing an unoccupied one beside her and ripping out a piece of notebook paper. Here's some tape. Write your name and paste it on the wood of the chair. It's yours now. Welcome to Club Nuthouse, she said, and she leaned back down in her makeshift bed as I settled into my own. I hated her for what she had done to Ray, but I wrote my name on the piece of paper anyway, and I taped it to the chair. This was my home now, for the time being. I might as well make myself comfortable while I was stuck here slowly getting back to the person I once was. Was it possible? I wondered. Could I be the person I was before I heard the voices and saw the shadow? I will try, I told myself. I will try to be me again.